0: Welcome, everyone. You are listening to Truth in Christ Radio, the Bible-teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg.
1: You know, there's a difference between trials and temptations. Every one of us go through trials. You may have a sickness you may lose a job you may lose a loved one you may just be going through different things it's so varied and everyone in this room has different things but a trial and a temptation are very different a trial is something god that will either allow in your life or or purposely cause to happen in your life to sharpen you to to shape you to make you pliable to to help you to grow in grace to reveal to you really what you're made of
0: can I ever say Today on Truth in Christ, God brings us through trials to mold us. We know that our God is sovereign over all and is in control no matter what may come. Even though we know this and are followers of Christ, we still have questions as to why God allows trials in our life. Today on Truth in Christ, Pastor Rob continues our study on why God allows these difficult times in our lives and the difference between trials and and temptations. The Bible says that God never tempts us, but he does bring us through certain trials in order to develop our Christ-likeness. As the potter shapes the clay, our God shapes us. Here's Pastor Rob with today's message.
1: The title today really would be, if I had to give one, uh, the difference between trials and temptations. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And let's open up to James chapter 1. If you remember last week, we started the book of James James being a half-brother of Jesus, a half-brother because Jesus was the firstborn. If you remember, he was born miraculously. The Holy Spirit of God impregnated, if you will, Mary, and she was a virgin. The virgin birth is essential to the Christian faith because without that, everything gets kind of side, goes kind of sideways. Uh, because this is a work of God. This is God in the flesh. This is not a product of Joseph and Mary. This is a product of the Holy Spirit within a young woman whom God was going to use in a remarkable way. And so James, the half-brother of Jesus, and of course Mary and Joseph had children afterwards. And James here is speaking to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Now remember, when he wrote this letter, it was after Pentecost had occurred. In fact, prior to Pentecost, his brothers, the Bible says, and, and I believe it was in John chapter 7, his brothers didn't even believe in him. All the time that Jesus was growing up with them, they didn't believe in him. But there was a day that they did, and James, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he was able to look back and say, you know what? There's something about my brother that I've discounted all these years. You know, never once did I see him lose his temper. Never once did I see him go against mom and dad's will. Never once did I see him do something out of uh, out of anger. And it brought him to faith, and he was soon to come to be one of the, um, the leaders in the Jerusalem church there, after Jesus had resurrected, after the ascension of Christ, James became a great leader for the, the church in Jerusalem. And what a witness that is, right? Because he would know of all people whether this is truly the Son of God, whether he was the Messiah or not. And so, to me, let that encourage your faith this morning. But it's to the 12 tribes. So at Pentecost, all these, this new group of people, which we know as the church, they, they got saved. And out of Pentecost, they were, they were all Jews. They were all Jews. And from their very inception, from the very birth of the, of the church, they, were, they certainly went under uh, persecution immediately, and they were scattered all around. They were hunted. And so James is writing to them and encouraging them about the trials that they are going to go through, and many other things. And so he is uh, an encouragement to them. And you know, ever since the very beginning of the Jewish people, they have always been on the run. Always been on the run. No other people group like it in all the world. They've always been persecuted. Anti-Semitism right now is at its height. You'd think after all these years, people would realize, you know, we're really all the same, aren't we? We're all the same. If you look at any culture... Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to have some kind of security. Everybody wants to live in peace. Everybody's got to eat. Everybody's got to sleep. Everybody wants to provide for their family. Those are the basic things. Everybody wants to worship. I mean, they may worship a strange god or some other people group, but they, they all have. We're all the same. And so, this group of people is no di- are, are no different. And so, let's read down through this chapter because we're going to get to a point. In chapter 5, we're really going to take off. So he said, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, my brethren, count it all joy. And this is like a calm calm joy in a sense. Uh, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces, produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing and if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask of god who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him you know it's a an amazing thing trials you know there's a difference between trials and temptations every one of us go through trials you may have a sickness, you may lose a job, you may lose a loved one, you may just be going through different things. It's so varied, and everyone in this room has different things. But a trial and a temptation are very different. A trial is something God that will either allow in your life or, or purposely cause to happen in your life to sharpen you, to, to shape you, to make you pliable, to, to help you to grow in grace, to reveal to you really what you're made of. He already knows this information, but we don't know that information. And until the trial comes along, we may think we can do anything, but he has a way of using trials in our life to show us really where we're at. And as a result of that, most of us will, if we're honest with ourselves, will cry out to him because we realize we don't have the strength or the power to do what we need to do. We just don't have it. We don't have all the information. We don't have all the power. He alone has all the information. He alone has the power. So it behooves us to rest upon him. Because only he is the one that we have to do. There's no one else in the universe that you're going to stand before other than Jesus Christ ultimately at the end. So get to know him. Get to love him. Draw upon his power. He is, as we saying, he's the source of life. He is everything. He is the sum of everything. And then we look at temptations. Temptations are something that God doesn't tempt us with. We're going to read that today. Temptations are something that the enemy comes at us, tempting us to sin. So we can see how a trial may be used by God to refine us, to give us this uh, steadfast endurance. That's what the, the word patience means. To make us like that rubber band that we talked about last week, right? To make us flexible. So that when we go through trials, as we go through something difficult and we relax after the trial's over with, that rubber band is a little more pliable the next time God stretches us out. And he just keeps on doing that. He keeps on doing that to the point where we look back on our life and a trial that would have freaked us out 20 years earlier, and all of a sudden now is no big deal. Been through that. God has saw me through that. I've seen him work miraculously. I'm not worried about it anymore. I used to fret about that, but no longer. I've seen God work. And that's what he does in each of us. Can anybody relate to that? He is. We're like rubber bands. Somebody texted me a ball of rubber bands. After yes, last uh, week's service, I thought that was kind of funny. So i got some rubber bands here, and I'm just going <laughs> to shoot them at you. No, but a trial and a temptation, two different sources. The trial is God's way of conforming me to the image of Christ. It's just part and parcel for being a Christian. You will go through trials. It's in, the, in the Word of God, it says that if we live godly in Christ Jesus, we shall suffer persecution. It's just part of it. And that's God's doing. He, he He allows these trials in our life to shape us, to refine us, to grow us, to grow us up. But temptation's a whole different matter. He doesn't do that, but the devil does that. Satan is the one who tempts you. He finds, he's studying you, every one of you. He has his minions watching you. And if you... Dwell on that too much, it'll creep you out. But my encouragement to you is to not think about them. Not to think about the devil. Only think about the Lord and what he's doing. Because if you remember in Job's life, the devil came before God, and he still has that access, believe it or not, today. And he's going to accuse Job before God. And God allowed Job to go through serious, serious trials. God knew the end from the beginning. God knew that Job's faith would not fail. Job didn't know that at the time, and the devil could care less. The devil is not omniscient. He doesn't know all things, but God does. God could look at the end of the trial and all that Satan was going to do, and he says, okay, I'll let you do it. These are the parameters. You can do this, and you can do that, but you cannot do this, God says, and let me tell you, when God says that you that, that nobody can touch you, but you can go a certain far a certain distance, you better believe that that is the truth. and so when you go through difficult things, God has a plan and a purpose for it, and He has an end to it, and He won't take you beyond you know what you're able to be tempted, you know, but within every temptation, with all these things, He gives you a way to escape. Do you know how to escape when you're going through a temptation? Drop to your knees. Drop to your knees. But God allowed those things, those trials, to happen in Job's life. And the devil had to get permission. And he has to get permission to mess with you. And to me, that's encouraging. He's not a loose cannon out there in the universe, the devil. He's not a loose cannon, he's a dog on a leash. And God uses him for his purposes. And it's a mystery, isn't it? It really is a mystery. I don't like it. But he uses it to refine us. Have you noticed that? When you fail... If, if there's a trial in your life and you fail that trial, God is not upset with you. He's going he's gonna to see you through it. He's going to make you go through it again, perhaps. Remedial training, after-school training, tutoring. You're going to go through it again, and pretty soon you're going to be like, God, I, need to, I can't seem to kick this thing. I'm, I'm going through this difficulty. Lord, I just need your help. I need your strength. He's like, I'm going to be there for you. You're going to fail this time. You're going to fall flat on your face, and it's going to be public, too. It's going to be really ugly. But you know what? Next time going to vindicate you. You're going to stand and you're going to be like a shining gold on my mantelpiece, a trophy of my grace, God says. So don't worry about these things that happen. And so trials, temptations, we all go through them. But let's pick up in verse five because we're going to come back to that theme in just a moment, but we got to get through a few verses first. In verse five, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, when you're going through a trial, if you lack wisdom, ask of God who gives to liberally to all and without reproach. You know, there's a difference between wisdom and knowledge. We live in a knowledge-centric culture. Knowledge is coming at us from all of these different things, and anybody can learn pieces of information. They can learn knowledge, but wisdom is something that is sorely lacking in, our, in the church and in our culture anybody can learn if you're alive and breathing you can learn facts but wisdom is something entirely different wisdom is how to apply that knowledge and to do it in a godly way in a right way and it's applicable for the thing it's it's a thing that's done in season have you ever noticed somebody like that who's you know you're sitting there trying to figure out a problem and they go you know why don't we just do this and you're like wow Never noticed that. Never even occurred to me. It makes sense. And it's not that big of a deal. And nobody gets hurt. And it's just the right word at the right time. That's wisdom. God imparting wisdom. And he wants to give that to you liberally. And he doesn't want to hold it back from you. We need to ask. We need to continue to ask. But knowledge is a different thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, first two verses it says this now concerning things offered to idols Paul says we know that we all have knowledge but here's the problem knowledge puffs up but love edifies love builds up knowledge puffs up but love builds up and you want to be part of that person you want to be that person who edifies instead of tearing down or getting puffed up in pride we see a lot of that today It's everywhere. It's just saturated our culture, pride, and knowledge. But real wisdom is something that God wants to impart to us, the church. And it is very attractive when it's shown and it's put on display. And God gets the glory for it. But he says, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing, as yet he ought to know. That's kind of humbling. Jesus said, you can't do a thing without me. Without me, you can do nothing, he said to his disciples. I believe that. I can't do a single thing without him. Not of of any eternal significance. I can make a mess. I can do a lot of things, but I can't do anything without God, really. Your very next breath is given to you as a gift by God. It's a gift. He gives it to you. So I ought not to boast in anything. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We have to diligently seek him. Make it the, the work of the heart of your life to get to know who Jesus is. And not only just to get to know him, but say, Lord, fill me daily. Fill me momentarily. Every moment I need you, would you just do the work in and through my life? I need that. You cannot live any other way. You shouldn't live any other way. And it's a challenge, isn't it? It really is. But see, God wants to fill you today. He wants to encourage you. And speaking of wisdom, it says in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord, the awe of God. Having an awe, a reverential awe of Him is the beginning of wisdom. And, you know, the beginning of wisdom is being in, in an awe of God. You know, um... You know, when you read a chapter like Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, the earth shows forth his handiwork. When you look up in the sky, out in the boat, if you're out in Key West down down south, and you're out there in a couple miles out in the Gulf of Mexico, and there's no lights in sight, and the stars are just out, and you can see the Milky Way galaxy, you can see the whole thing, and does that fill you with a sense of awe? When you read Psalm 19, is your heart filled with awe? When you read Psalm 139, and it talks about the omniscience of God, he, he knows all things. You can't hoodwink him. You can't fool him. He's all-powerful. He has everything. And you and I are in his hands, and you and I are in the forefront of his thoughts always. So do you really have anything to worry about? Do we have anything to really fret about? Or when you read Job, I, I'd encourage you today, read Job chapter 38 through 41, because God just levels everybody in those three chapters. He says, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? The frost on the ground. Where were you when I made Leviathan? Where were you when all? And he starts going through the creative process and all just the magnificent things. Read that. It gives you an awe of God. That's the beginning of wisdom, knowing who it is that we're accountable to. That is the beginning of wisdom. That's the first place we ought to get. So wisdom is knowing how to use that knowledge in a godly, practical way. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 3. There's a wonderful verse here. We're going to look at, uh, we're going to start in verse 5. After King David had passed away, Solomon now was the man in charge. He was the new king of Judah. And Solomon was a young man when he came to the throne, a very young man. And notice something in 1 Kings chapter 3. We're going to beginning in verse 5, speaking of wisdom. Everyone there? All right. It says, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God says, Ask, ask, what will I give to you? And I love the invitation. God's saying, Ask, whatever you want. The, blank, the check is already, I've already signed it. It's blank. What do you want, Solomon? <laughs> Verse 6, And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Verse 7, Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I'm just a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. Notice the humility. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Verse 9, Therefore give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? What would your answer be if God came to you today and says, What do you want? Anything you want, I'll give it to you. Most people... Let's say I want Bill Gates paycheck I want Warren Buffett's holdings Berkshire Hathaway I want it the whole thing I'm going to liquidate it right now and cash out right That's what most people would say but notice the heart of this young king he goes I need understanding I need wisdom to 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 deal with and to lead this great group of people that you have um Given to me in verse ten, in the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon asked this thing. And notice what God did. God said to him, "Because you have asked this thing and have not asked for long life for yourself, you haven't asked for riches for yourself. You've not asked the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has never, there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall be any arise after you like you." And I have also given you what you did not ask, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all of your days. What an amazing thing. What an amazing thing God gave to him. Isn't it true? When you, when you do the right thing, God gives you all things. What's that verse? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. That's a great verse for that. Solomon's heart was to seek the kingdom of God, and God gave him the things that he didn't ask for. But most of the time, we go for the gold. We go for the new car, the new house by the lake, whatever it may be. But the greatest thing is, Lord, and that's one of my prayers, you know, actually, is, Lord, just give me great discernment over my own heart, over things, you know. I need that. I can't operate without it. I'd I'm, I'm be a miserable wash-up unless God does that, I'll be honest with you. I must be dependent upon him. And notice what happens. Go just a little further down in that in that uh that verse to verse sixteen. Now obviously Solomon didn't finish well. He got away from that wisdom that God had shown him. And he was. He was the richest, the most wisest man at the time. And in his beginning, notice what God did to just really give him wisdom. And I really love this event here. This is historical event. This is not some made-up story. In verse 16, it says, Now two women who were harlots came and stood before him. And woman, one woman said, O oh Lord, this woman and I dwell in the same house, and I gave birth while she was in the house. And it happened the third day, After I had given birth, that this woman also gave birth, and we were together, and no one was with us in the house except the two of us. And this woman's son died in the night because she had laid on him. So she arose in the middle of the night, and while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom, and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I arose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was dead. But when I examined him in the morning, indeed, he was not my son whom I had born. So then the woman said, then the other woman said, No, but the living child is my son, and the dead one is your son. So you can see this feud going back and forth. And the first woman said, No, but the dead one is your son, and the living one is my son. And so they came before the king, and God gave to wisdom, uh, wisdom to Solomon. And this is so wonderful. And the king said, this one, this one says, This is my son who lives, and your son is the dead one. And the other says, No, but your son is the dead one, and my son is the living one. And then the king says, Bring me a sword. Bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king, and the king said, "Divide the living child in two with the sword, and give half one and half to the other." Then the woman, whose son was living, spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son, and she said, "O oh my lord, give her the living child, and by no means kill him, but the other said, Let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him and so Solomon, through wisdom, he realized that the woman who was willing the the, the son whose was the right for
0: us. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of James. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office for ordering details. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio or sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. You can also listen to these messages on your mobile device by going to Calvary Chapel of Rochester on Google Play or Apple Podcast. And until the same time on Monday, this has been Truth in Christ.